Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to be discussing a hot topic with Ryan Rood. Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello. So um, I am the founder and CEO of a digital marketing consultancy in Minneapolis called Lake One. Uh, we work exclusively with B2B brands, helping them put together their growth strategies, help them figure out what technology they need to make that scale, and then giving them um, you know, hands-on support, acting as an embedded partner um, to help them execute against that plan as well. Before the podcast, as usual, we talked about topics and bonded mm-hmm. over a couple things, actually, but you have a hot take on what technology has done to marketing. Let, let me just let you run with that. <laughs> Uh, I mean, simply put, I feel like it's broken marketing. I think, you know, technology has a lot of great opportunities and potential, um, but we got lazy with it. Um, I think that the promises of easy leads, easy pipeline, the the best marketers are peddling technology. And as a result, um, everybody is doing a lot of really dumb stuff with the technology. Um, blasting people, that's, literally, that's probably my the thing that makes my skin crawl when I have clients use that word. I need to send an email blast. I'm like, does, it, does anybody want to get blasted? Let's just like, let's put ourselves on the other side of that word. Does that, that doesn't feel good. That's, that's not nice. <laughs> Don't and blast me. it's not me. even just the marketers who are, who are doing it now. Like no. Sales now has uh, automated outreach sequencing uh-huh. tools. And no, yeah. if you're not paying attention, you're in trouble because they're going to destroy your domain deliverability. For goodness yep. sakes, put them in on, on at least one other domain and then look at Hold their on. writing. Because oh. <laughs> it's not always good. Yeah, check the personalization tokens and make sure that it matches up with your outreach spreadsheet, at least, because I can't tell you the number of times that I've gotten a hi, John, or a hi, Jeff, and I'm like, could you couldn't just take a second to check that, at least? Right, or hi, put name here. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we evolved beyond this? Right, literally, literally, <laughs> yes. And the best is the threaded ones that I get where it's like, okay, maybe the first time, like, I'll, I'll let you go once. But then you're clearly in a sequence where they keep sending that and it's just like, no, nope, I can't anymore. So yeah, yeah. That, that's my take is I feel like it's it just allowed us to turn things on to autopilot and to play a numbers game that honestly isn't doing anybody any favors it's it's bad for the brand it's bad for a pipeline it's bad for quotas it's bad for it's bad for the the consumer the buyer on the other side because everybody hates it everybody hates you know i i dread going into my linkedin account because i can't even i can't even make sense of who's sending me messages anymore yeah yeah uh yeah and on the flip side of that it's gotten extremely difficult to engage with people because Mm -hmm. they're tired of it and i feel like since the pandemic people are even more sensitive to not being seen Mm -hmm. and it's it's something that's actually really hard to do well on on the other side of it unless you have a lot of intent signals and there's some good parts of technology yeah um but you know cold outreach has always been a game of just randomly being able to get in front of the right person at the right time yeah and we should try to do a little bit 
better there. I also feel like there's a set it and forget it mentality. Yeah. That's really scary because yeah. <laughs> uh, the market changes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes so does your buyer profile. Totally. So. I always say the the Ron Popeil food dehydrator dehydrator does not apply here. You can't have a set it and forget it mentality and just walk away. Mm -hmm. I love I it's interesting that you bring up the the pandemic component to this because I feel like if you look at some of the reports that came out in terms of engagement metrics and like how quickly some of the channels of engagement like email and ads and social media, how quickly they dropped off of the cliff because everybody was using it, right? It, it We've lost the art of connection. We've lost the ability to just connect with another human being and realize that that's what we're doing. At the end of the day, that that whether you're selling, whether you're marketing, whether you're a support individual within an organization, like that is how you drive revenue impact within the business. And yes, there are tools that make it easier and more efficient, but you still have to think about the connection that you're trying to create and take the time to understand who it is, what that business is on the other side that you're talking to and what they're trying to accomplish. Well, and I'd also like to point out, like you watch the decline in engagement over channels. I don't think it was just because everybody started using them. If you overlay that with the chart of people who report feeling lonely all the time, mm -hmm. depressed, like all of that was on the yeah. upswing while that was down. Yep. I, I think we've gotten really bad at connecting in an authentic, honest way with people because... Yeah we've been isolated. We um, rely a little too heavily on social media to entertain us. <laughs> yep. Well, and it's it's easy to sit behind a keyboard, right? One of the stats that I found so fascinating during the pandemic was the channel that didn't fail, the phone, calling yeah. people. People want, like, because of that isolation, because of that loneliness, <laughs> you you were calling somebody doing a cold outreach, and all of a sudden there was engagement on the other side of the line because we were all dying for it. We were all dying to connect with another human being. Yeah, and I see that <laughs> creepily. If somebody accidentally texts me instead of, instead of somebody yes. else, and I'm nice about it and say, hey, it seems like you have the wrong number. They're like, you yeah. seem nice. Let's try to chat. And I'm like, no. Oh, totally. no boundaries. 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 Yes. 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 Um, 100%. So beyond not um, fostering a, a good mechanism for forming a connection, I think... I've seen some other things in terms of AI specifically. So I think a lot of people see budgets being cut and things getting hard, especially in marketing. And we look at AI as a cheap way to augment stuff that mm -hmm. we're doing. Before I get into that, um, machine learning has been really present in attribution models and lead scoring in a few different areas, um, a lot of people don't trust it. And I feel like yeah. the real issue is we don't have a good understanding of the limitations of our own data yep. and how much information we need to train a model to yep. produce something meaningful. And then on the AI side, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the limitations of chat GPT specifically. <laughs> 
what I find, well, in the two, those two components, those two data points that you just brought up about, you know, how much is needed to train a model from machine learning, and then also the limitations of chat GPT, those two things are different sides of the coin of the same problem, right? Is I think that there's this assumption that ChatGPT or AI is going to displace everything. You still need a human being input on the other side, like to drive it forward. And there is still a refinement process. I mean, everything that you're seeing, every everything that's grabbing headlines, they're just looking at a Twitter, a Twitter thread where somebody was talking to ChatGPT4 and started a business and was like, you know, have you got a hundred dollars? What do you do? Make as much money. There was still a human on the other side saying, okay, now what? Like engaging with it. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's not like these are sentient beings and it's not like there is some sort of, you know, machine learning doesn't just apply to a data set and create context out of nothing. Like you still have to have a quality set of data that is appropriate and relevant to your business. And I think it like, to me, it comes back to the basics of a lot of the work that we do with our clients, where it's like, you know, how do you how do you fix the technology so that it doesn't break marketing? Well, you start with the end in mind. You talk about what are the metrics, what are the data points that matter that drive the business forward. A lot of businesses struggle with that. Like they can't oh, yeah. answer the question of saying, like everybody can say, okay, we want to drive, you know, $20 million of revenue next quarter. How? What does that mean? What is like what tell me what the qualified deal looks like? You're gonna ask you ask 10 different people in an organization, you're gonna get 10 different answers. That's the problem. And that's really the problem with attribution, too. I mean, it's why caliber mind exists, but at the same time, I look at different personas in the organization are trying to do different things with the numbers. Yep. And it's all riding on the one person who's responsible to setting it up to get it right. Yep. I think that's why so many people hate it is you've got this campaign optimization tool that the executive team is trying to use to estimate how much marketing is contributing to the business. Like yep. that's not how it's instrumented. And maybe if we change that, that's a separate rant, but the other <laughs> rant, was, <laughs> but the other rant was chat GPT is like, I, I, I use it. I see a lot of valid use cases for it. Yeah. What it's not good at, it's it's looking at recent historical data and coming up with often very cyclical regurgitated versions of what's already out there. Yeah. And that's not necessarily or even close to what people really want to consume. They want to know the cutting edge thought leader. Um, you know, they want to hear from experts in their own industry. Yeah. So if you're using chat GPT to supplement your content strategy, your priorities, are just got to question them, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, again, it requiring, we're so far away from an AI function being able to, I don't want, I don't want to use the word think I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to just create. Really here. create yeah. yeah create something at a level that is still you know cognizant of that cutting edge cognizant and taking the inputs of experiences and like because I had a I had somebody ask me like if we were worried about it in our business like hey because so we're a HubSpot solutions partner HubSpot yeah. um implemented um chat um chat spot so they're starting to implement 
AI and learning inside of like how to navigate within HubSpot. And they're like, are you worried about that displacing the work that you guys do? And I'm like, I'm not because until AI can have a conversation with a business at a rapid fire level to discern the processes and business challenges and figuring out how do you customize software to solve for the business need of sales, marketing, and support, you're not going to be able to displace a human being that can take the experiences of, you know, a lifetime and apply that to a solution that's unique for a business. I mean, I would probably, well, I'm a little sarcastic, but I would probably answer <laughs> it with like, how recently have you yelled into your phone, speak to a representative? Like, <laughs> right. we're just not right. there yet. <laughs> we're not there yet. No, or gotten pissed off at Alexa because she's not understanding what like, you're trying to add to your shopping list. All the biases and the yes. facial recognition software and all this other stuff. It's totally. All right, so maybe we should kind of talk about the flip side and and talk about some of the positives and yeah. how you can use it to augment the best practices that you're already doing. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like I think about the ways that technology did help bring people closer together during the pandemic. And I think about some of our clients that were really struggling that were because B2B so many times you're focused on face-to-face -face sales. You go to events, you're trying to, you know, you're your business capacity is driven by relationships, right? All of a sudden the world shuts down. How do you, how are you communicating? How are you building relationships? I mean, you and I, for example, the first time we met, it was all video. We started riffing. We had a good time that way. And how do you translate that type of experience into some sort of a scalable sales experience? So things like one-to-one -one video, being able to create video on the fly, send it in a very personalized manner with email. Those are areas. Where, and again, though, it's still time consuming. It's not, you know, you're not creating one video at scale and sending it out. You're still, you're creating those videos quickly, whether it's, you know, on your computer or on your phone to make those opportunities for those personalized touch points. Well, and there's a huge mindset shift that I think a lot of people are resisting that needs to happen. So, um, you know, I've grown up in B2B and the, the way to scale was always to come up with your number, hire that many salespeople, yeah. and that's, they're just going to brute force it. Yeah. People, how people buy and research and want to interact with things before they ever talk to yeah. anybody has totally changed marketing's um, role in B2B. I mean, it was always like that in B2C, but I think we're seeing a big shift and a lot of business leaders who have seen success in the old way, um, you know, they have a very volume, you know, at bats, qual right. quantity over quality. You know, I have salespeople tell me, but I need to get in front of all 4,000 of my accounts so they know who we are. And my first question is, why? Yeah. I mean, if if you can see in the system who's researching similar products right now. Yep. Why would why you, you focus on them? And it's it's like hitting your head against a brick wall yeah. sometimes. So what have you seen work when it comes to, you know, so much of marketing is trying to convince 
other business leaders and sales yeah. teams to really, you know, challenge the way they're approaching things. Yeah. Have you seen any tactics that work really well? So what we always, because we have the same type of scenario where it's like, well, we've always done it this way. This is, you know, why would I change it? Mm -hmm. um, finding, um, <laughs> finding the helper. So to borrow from, 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 um, Mr. Rogers, finding the helpers, um, finding the person that is interested, you know, there's always going to be somebody in an organization that is pushing the line that is interested in trying to be that, um, that innovator, that is looking that wants the competitive advantage to their peers. That's how we found it. So video, for example, when we were trying to introduce video into a manufacturing account that was really struggling and, and they, they were a physical, they had to show the product, but they couldn't. We had one person that picked it up and did it. And he, he told the story, not us. It was, he became the champion inside of saying, I've been trying to get this director of engineering at this firm to pick up a phone call for a year and a half. I sent him a video showing the product and he called me back in five minutes. And those then type that is better than gold, man. Right. Salespeople gossip. They do. Yes. And that's, that's what we try to find is we try to find those type of things. Similarly, in another account, um, we've been talking about account-based marketing and they, the concept, they get it, but they don't, um, they're skeptical at scale. So finding things like, hey, there's a, during the supply chain crisis, there was a, our competitor can't is unable to supply this need. We have a product very similar. So we said, hey, let's run an account-based marketing campaign specifically against that. Yeah. Blew open the revenue opportunity. So all of a sudden now everybody's talking about it within the organization saying, well, what could we do it here? Could we do it here? Could we do it here? So that's the way we find success is like little pilots where we can get somebody internally that's like a cheerleader for it and says, look, this is actually working. Um, because change is hard, change, like it, it's going to be hard. And I feel like, especially in the last five years, given the macro effects of things that have been happening in the world between COVID, between what's going on in the economy right now, where everybody is holding their breath, trying to do any sort of change at a grand scale without having some small successes is going to be hard. Right. It's interesting because this requires a degree of data literacy, or at least working with somebody who can translate things into next mm -hmm. steps. But the bigger part here is learning how to tell a story that resonates. Yeah. And part of that is exactly what you described is finding somebody who can get excited. And there's this visceral thing that, that gets passed. It's yeah. viral. Totally. This work. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I, I you can't, you can't manufacture that kind of enthusiasm when you get somebody internally doing it and talking about it when you're not always around. Right. And I think part of that too is something we as marketers forget to do a lot is internal marketing and just socializing. Mm -hmm. Hey, um, salesperson A, you're having a, a really good time with this. Can we set up um, you know, like a brown bag session where you yeah. tell other people how you use this, like just totally. facilitate the conversation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. How do you make that virality go faster within the organization? That internal piece is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, and I think 
So pivoting to a few more ways technology can help, um, specifically ChatGPT, since I, I disparage it all the time, <laughs> I, I still use it. And what I've found is if you can get really specific about your audience and you want to retain the voice that's in the original mm -hmm. copy and you would like some suggestions for some catchy, compelling social snippets and give it how yes. many, it can actually spit out some decent stuff. Totally. So, so let's talk a little bit about the specific, oh goodness, Ooh. specific. <laughs> Specificity? <laughs> yes, I felt like a Warner Brothers cartoon there for a That's second. Awesome. We're not going to cut that. Um, let's talk about some specifics and, you know, there's no replacement for knowing who's actually interacting with your brand or wants to buy from you. Let's talk about some of the legwork we should do before leveraging something like ChatGPT. I, I was just going to say this is a perfect example of why there's still the human element to it because the the robot's not going to know who your buyers are, the buying roles. What like are they a blocker? Are they a decision maker? What kind of you know tone and pain points are they going to be needing in the content? I mean, if you have a financial blocker and you're trying to create content for it. Is ChatGPT going to know that specifically without you telling them that and to be able to highlight, you know, the, the concerns about compliance, concerns about cost savings? All, like, that's where the dis distinction comes in between adding the human element to the AI piece of it. So some of the things that become really key is understanding what does that buying committee look like? Understanding, you know, how large is the committee? What are the pain points for each different role? At a minimum, too, I think really understanding and getting alignment around it, going back to that goal question and getting everybody on the same page of what does qualified look like? If we're going to align around a revenue goal and we're expecting our sales and marketing team to work together, they need to speak the same language of what qualified means so that we can understand these are the criteria of what a qualified opportunity looks like. These are the roles. This is the company size. This is the type of information we need. All of that has to be table stakes. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more because the most violence, the wrong word, but just exaggerated <laughs> arguments I've seen, especially, you know, not in the boardroom, but among the C-suite are around who the icp really is because everybody's yeah. biased and yeah. a lot of times we don't know what data we have and don't have to actually validate that yeah and then what is a lead you ask each person they're going to come up with yeah. a different definition and it's like you failed before you even started right um yeah tying out on all of that is just so critical love it well, and if you can't tie out on it, how are you ever going to get to the revenue number? Because if you don't have any of the trailing indicators. Another caution on the chat GPT side is it doesn't have the same ethical constraints that your buyers would like you to have. Right. So if you tell it to edit your resume, you're going to see a bunch of stats pop in there that look great. <laughs> <laughs> are no. they real? Right. Not a know. chance. No, going forward, I think when somebody presents that, I'll be like, ah, oh, chat GPT, yes. <laughs> right? That's yeah. a little fishy. Yeah. yeah, tell me what's real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're dealing with a market that's already really skeptical, which, um, yeah, you know, marketers love to hate analytics. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and it's because we, it's, I mean, it's, we've been fooled so many times. Yep. So. Oh, I totally get it. I, I've been there. Okay. Well, is there anything else you want to touch on before we do the outro and where people can find you? Um, I think the only thing, like what I always say to our team, our clients is like, while it can feel, whether it's chat GPT, whether you're listening to this conversation and going, well, great. So you're telling me that I'm finally getting a tech stack implemented and you're telling me technology is going to break my sales and marketing. Like, yeah, we can be, woe is, woe is us, the sky is falling. But as long as you have the, you know, the goals clarified, you have the best intentions of your buyers at heart, progress over perfection, take it a little bit at a time. Like you don't have to go gangbusters on everything. Like you don't have to do it all just because a, a piece of technology that you procured can do everything doesn't mean you need to turn on everything because that's when you start to have the machine going running amok and that's when technology starts to break everything so it should be a help not a hindrance yeah nail the basics listen to podcasts like this for best practices maybe totally and think of what you yourself respond to i think is just exactly like i sign up for newsletters most of them have to do with food but there's a reason why I've signed up for them. <laughs> right, right. They have value and they treat you. There's a, um, Steve Jobs used to always have a value inside of Apple of be kind, of like be kind, do good things in product development, create, like think about how you want to be treated. And I feel like from a marketing perspective, we need to remember that like be kind if you don't want it to be done to you don't do it to somebody else like the golden rule here people yeah and not at this company but at past companies i've even had board members say well everybody's making up stats to make their products look better why don't you just do that and i'm like "Ooh, yeah there's there's i have a list of reasons why i'm not going to do that thank you (laughs) right exactly where should i start (laughs) yeah be transparent Um, you know, be honest about your product shortcomings because chances are really good. Your product does a lot of awesome things too that may outweigh that. But if they know it going into it, they're going to be much more comfortable making a purchase. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people find you to network online? So LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, And then our website's like onedigital.com if you ever have a question about any of your tech stacks. Perfect. And those will also be in the show notes. And for those of you who don't know what show notes are, if you just click on the podcast name in your app, you will see the notes for the episode. So thank you to our listeners. Um, We really appreciate you. Please rate, review, subscribe, tell two friends. It does make a difference. And for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com.